Do you uh do you want to play the music? Yeah, let's play the music for Kenny. Let's try that. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. It's podcast time, Michael. Here we go again. <laughs> Here we go again. Ah, uh, man, we just keep stacking these up and I'm excited about it. Our guests keep getting better and better and uh, the conversations are deep and worthwhile. And today I have high expectations as Kenyon Gleason joins us. Yes. Okay. How are you guys doing? I'm excellent. I'm How hanging in like? there, Bob. I'm like you, Kenyon. I want 2020 out of here. <laughs> I'm not one to wish time away, but uh, I really wish 2020 were over. It's been a really tough year that way. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, really, you know, look at what, look at what y'all are doing. Um, I mean, it's probably more critical now than ever. I appreciate you saying that um, because I think one of the things that we forget when we have a, a year like this, and I don't know if anybody's experienced a year like this uh, in our generation uh, where so many hideous things have graced our consciousness that we forget to look at the positives. And I just recently did a, a video, a uh, little video blog and a podcast on uh, why 2020 didn't entirely suck. And one of the things that I cited was um, the opportunity to do things like this. So, you know, even though we've been compelled into our own homes and, you know, staying away from people, uh, the opportunity to connect virtually has, has created a lot of really neat, uh, outcomes you know this this being one of them this, this who knows if this podcast even exists without us being forced apart so um you know i don't want to i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and the bathwater is pretty pretty damn dirty right now uh but it's you know we we, we want to try to counter blessings a uh, few though they may may seem at this point but i'm, I'm with you it's I appreciate you saying that, though. I, I say that, you know, wishing time away and getting rid of 2020, it, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Um, I wrote a column recently for our association and really reflected on the fact that 2020, despite all of the craziness and nonsense and just flat-out garbage um, that came our way, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty good year, and I learned a lot about myself uh, learned a lot about uh, people that I hadn't been in connection with for quite some time. And so um, have really had to, you know, rethink a lot of things. And, and uh, I'm a very positive person by nature. And I really try to be encouraging to people whenever and however I can. So 2020 put that to the test to a certain extent. And I was able to sort of look in the mirror and say, you know, you got to keep it up just because you know, times are tough doesn't mean you get to sort of loosen your ability to, to do those things. And, and they're actually more important now than they've ever been. So, um, I, I really, uh, I really 
kind of grab a hold of that philosophy uh, with you, Jake. I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's uh, something that it, it appears from this sort of global perspective that 2020 has been a horrible year. Um, but when I really sort of shake it all down and, and start looking at the brass tacks, I, I really think that 2020 has been pretty good for me personally. I've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff. I've gotten to spend a lot more time with my family. I've uh, definitely been outside more. Uh, I've been working out, losing weight, uh, taking flying lessons. I mean, I'm, it's just been an awesome, uh, been an awesome year. So, you heretic, right? Kenyon, <laughs> <laughs> because we're both industry guys, and when I say industry, I want to, I want to kind of preference that. Um, I think what people see on social media when it comes to gun people is a lot of influencers. They see the brands, they see the influencers or the people that represent the companies. Um, we, we've been fortunate enough to really be uh, behind the scenes in many ways uh, from an industry perspective. Um, before we kind of unpack a little bit more about that, because this is a really crazy time when it comes to firearms, um, we, we, we never seem to get any consistency um, in, in sales. And then uh, having something like this happen to us where all these, you know, industry shows get canceled and stuff like that. It's, it's made it pretty challenging for a lot of people, but uh, tell us who you are uh, just so the listening audience understands who you are and what you do besides being a WTTA board member, which, you know, I've, I've always appreciated. And we go back. I love you. Uh, but just explain you, what you, you do. So uh, first of all, I love you too. Thank you. I, I'm I'm so blessed to be your friend. Um, I've I've met a lot of wonderful people in this industry. You were one of the first, and uh, you know, six years now I've been the president of NASGW. And for those that don't know, the NASGW is the National Association of Sporting Goods Wholesalers. And so I work on behalf of the two-step distributors in the industry, and for the bulk of many types of firearms, most of them come through uh, two-step distribution. There's a lot of big box stores and a lot of companies that do work direct with retailers or big, you know, bigger stores. But, but um, for the most part in this industry, distribution is still a pretty major uh, way to get your product uh, out to the stores. And so I represent the wholesalers. There are about 30 of them that do the vast majority of the business in sales and marketing of, of products for you know hundreds of manufacturers, uh, whether that's firearms, ammo, optics, uh, plenty of accessories, and anything you can think of that would be outdoor-related. Some are into archery. Some do things like uh, marine and fishing uh, equipment as well, you know, coolers, I mean, camping gear, you name it, uh, anything outdoors. And so that's, that's the group that I represent. Uh, we, as a industry as a as a collective of distributors put on our own show every year and it's not a show that most people know about or even hear about because it's not a public show it's really an industry only show it's designed for the manufacturers to be in the room with the distributors and they all meet over the course of three days four days and uh, have a lot of opportunity to work on new deals, take a look at what products are coming ahead. We do the show in October, and so it really sets everybody up for, for the next year and their sales opportunities for the coming year. So uh, it's really a, 
uh, kind of a behind the scenes type of a show that's behind the scenes. And so I've run that organization, run this organization now for six years. We've grown tremendously as a, as an organization. We're starting to do all kinds of unique and wonderful things that will benefit the industry uh, from being able to understand the movement of goods from manufacturer all the way to retail and, and actually ultimately to the to the end consumer. Uh, we're tracking a lot of data today that has not been tracked before in this industry. We actually um, have been releasing over the last three years a couple of different products and we've got a couple more in the works uh, that will help this industry really understand itself better. And that's always tough in a world where politics and so many things are involved in, in your day-to-day business operations, um, we've seen just erratic and wild swings in our industry for the product movement. And so um, to a certain extent, you know, having data in a year like this year doesn't really matter much to people, honestly. I mean, I hate to say that. Uh, They're just selling everything they make. Um, But for the most part in regular years or down years, people really need to have access to information so they can make better decisions about what to buy, when to buy, uh, how much to buy, and uh, and make sure that their stores are stocked and that if they run out, they've got access to a distributor who has that that product in, in, you know, on their shelves, uh, that sort of thing. So we're able to really help with that. We've filled a void in the industry that has existed for a long time. Uh, this program has been very challenging to put together. We were told, you know, it was a Mount Everest climb and it's definitely been that. Um, but, you know, people do make it to the top of Mount Everest and, and we have certainly accomplished a lot with this. I won't necessarily say we're at the summit yet, uh, but we have definitely uh, gotten to uh, some of the base camps up along the way. So we're, we're doing well with that program. Uh, it's just been awesome. Um, so that's really the focus of my job is to represent these people, uh, work on building uh, business relationships between the manufacturers, the distributors, and to a certain extent, uh, the dealer network, and, uh, and really represent two-step distribution as a, as a good model, as a, as a good channel for the sale of sporting goods uh, in our country. So that's kind of my day-to-day is that was what you're looking for. Yeah, it was really good. And for somebody who doesn't understand that too well, me uh, being the outsider, I analogize it to like um, uh, liquor, beer distribution. So you got the you got the people who produce it, right? The, the distilleries and the breweries and all that. And then you have these these distributors, which is what you. It sounds like you represent, and then they send it out to the restaurants and the stores and all that stuff. Is that is that fairly accurate? It's absolutely accurate. Yeah, you did it much more succinctly than I did. <laughs> well, uh, so. Help help me and the the novice people understand. I guess the I guess the purpose and the reason why that's important, um, like why why have an association? Yeah. But then also, um, how do you determine who gets what product to send? Is it like geography or is it like specialty or like how does that work too? So, um, so your first question again was is about why is it necessary to have an association? One of these, these people just go out and do it on their own, I guess. Yeah. So there are multiple levels of distributorships. And when I say that, I mean, there are tiny guys that are doing, you know, 20, 30 million a year. And then you got guys that are, you know, a billion um, or more. And so the small people in particular don't have the wherewithal, the resources, the funding to be able to, to build that kind of a network um, to be able to put 
together information or education and certainly don't have the financial resources to be able to put together a data collection initiative like we've been able to do collectively. Um, there are there are representative things that we do on their behalf. I, I'm, I sit on the board of the National Association of Wholesalers in Washington, D.C., which is a collection of other uh, like-minded associations in the distribution community, whether that's pools and spas or pet food or grocery or, you know, heating and air conditioning, whatever. Um, all of these distributor groups um, are a member of this NEW and that too represents them on business issues. So uh, anytime there's legislation that impacts distributors or there's legislation that impacts the logistics or the travel, I mean, there's so many things that are encompassed in all of that. Um, you know, it's, it's good to have that representation and, and be able to have a voice that speaks on your behalf, whether that's on the business side or whether in our case, it's on the, the 2A side uh, where we're really starting to talk about the, the political or the politics around the Second Amendment. Um, you know, we're there to kind of help be their voice for that, to interface with other industry groups, um, to make sure that the voice of the distributor is heard in those conversations. Again, whether it's a business conversation or whether it's a politics conversation. Uh, to, your, to your question about like how things are determined and who gets what, um, that's a lot of just, uh, you know, the distributors working with the manufacturers to uh, to know what what products are coming, um, you know what they want out. Um, some manufacturers work with all of our distributors. Some manufacturers, you know, like to be more selective. They only have a smaller group of distributors that they work with. Um, but any retail store you go to that you know has been involved in this industry for any time has probably got uh, you know five or maybe even as many as 10 distributors that they're working with to fill their store shelves um, because certain distributors carry certain lines that other ones don't um, or they just built a really good solid sales relationship with them. They they like the way they're treated by that particular distributor or just it feels like home, I guess. And it's just like, why do you go to, you know, whatever sporting goods store you go to when you buy tennis shoes or golf clubs or whatever, or your favorite gun, you know, why do you choose that store? Because you've got a great relationship with them. Well, it's the same thing that stores do with, with the distributors. Um, they've, in some cases, you know, these companies have been in existence for decades. And so, you know, grandpa's started working with, you know, Lipsies and, and then, you know, my dad did the same because, well, we had a relationship with them and now I'm there, the son, and I'm going to keep that relationship up because they've just been good to our family. And so, you know, you have, <clears throat> you have that um, motivation for a lot of that too. But, uh, but really the, the determination on how the products get spent is like, what are people demanding? Uh, what do the people want? And, and so, you know, they'll, if, if, if Lipsy's carries it, they'll go to Lipsy's. If Big Rock carries it, they'll go to Big Rock. Or if those guys are all out and they, you know, need to find another distributor, they'll do that too. So it really ends up just being, you know, all of these distributors are all collectively serving you know, the 50 to 60,000 FFL stores around the country. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of crossover there in who serves whom and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that so was a very thorough response, and I appreciate it. I have many questions, but Mike. Well, let me, <laughs> let me kind of approach it, you know, telling you from, from my perspective and how I used to work with NASGW as the president of Eagle, right? So as, as some of the listeners may know, Eagle – basically represents foreign manufacturers. So I would buy, uh, 
you know, the firearms from these other countries like Argentina or Spain. Um, I would, I would bring it in. I would handle all the importing documents. Then I would handle the customer service, the warranty and the sales. I solely focused on two-step distribution. We did not sell directly to any dealers or any big boxes. We always did it through distribution. So for me, the NASDW is super important um, just because I supported two-step distribution and that's what I did. Um, that also too was a great time. Like when, when Kenyon has his show once a year, I, I would always attend and have a booth there. Um, I couldn't take on all kinds of distributors just because I only had a certain amount of product that I could get from other countries. Right. So it wouldn't make sense, but I had a core 13 customers and that was always kind of confusing for a lot of consumers because they would contact me and say, Hey, what stores carry your guns? And I never could really had a handle on exactly what stores carried my guns, but I could always say to that customer, look, even your local gun shop, even if they don't carry a particular brand, say Bursa or Metro Arms, I could say, have your dealer contact this distributor, whether it was Lipsy's, Big Rock, Davidson's, they have that product in stock. Your dealer can order it and can have it there the next day, right? So Kenyon and NASDW basically gives you the opportunity, for at least for me, um, I always love the show because it was an opportunity for me. We do all these shows, Jake. <laughs> They're like, you've seen it, SHOT Show, NRA Show, and it's just like chaos, right? Because there's so many attendees. NASDW, because it's not open to the public, and it's more like the professionals behind the scenes, behind the curtain, um, especially for me, because I only have like 13 customers, I actually could network and, and get a lot accomplished or meet potential future customers, you know, where you talk to somebody. So from that, from the perspective of Eagle, who's not a manufacturer, it still had value, even though I wasn't the manufacturer, but I was representing the manufacturer. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. So there's a lot of collaboration among big and small distributors because they all need each other. But then the, what I heard is a pretty, it sounds like a pretty substantial, or at least I don't know if it's substantial as far as time, but it's significant in terms of um, impact and necessity, a uh, government affairs operation too. So, uh, and I'm thinking th like everybody thinks you go to Washington and you tell your representatives not to vote for gun control. Okay. Yeah, that, but also what I'm hearing there with the, with distribution and, and wholesalers is like, there may be some regulatory thing getting passed on railways or trucks and you guys are there to go, whoa, 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 whoa. that's going to, that's going to disrupt a whole bunch of what we do. And that's why the, you know, the pool people and the, and the barbecue people or whatever, whoever else it is you work with are, are all in the same, the same group. That's exactly right. And I think that's sometimes a sort of forgotten aspect of what we do at NESGW. And it's not like I'm, a registered lobbyist in Washington, D.C. I'm not out there, uh, you know, regularly talking to legislators about all of those things. Uh, we tend to leverage our relationships with others in the industry, whether that's the National Association of Wholesalers or whether that's, you know, the National Shooting Sports Foundation. They do have a lobbying team, uh, the NRA uh, and their lobbyists, the American Suppressor Association. Uh, they lobby directly, um, you know, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. There's a ton of people that do that and do it well. So there's no point in having yet another voice in the mix of that soup. Um, we just like to let them 
handle those things that they're good at. And we just try to be there to be advice and counsel and input and support and uh, try to financially uh, support uh, their educational outreach, their grassroots initiatives or that, that sort of thing. Um, so that's part of what our organization does as well. And then, of course, we're, we're advocating on behalf of new shooters. Uh, we support, you know, the Youth Shooting Sports Alliance, um, you know, things like that, uh, the U.S. Olympic team, the shooting team, when uh, uh, when they need you know resources to help uh, get our athletes uh, into the Olympic Games, things like that. Um, we we have in the past supported you know a number of other sort of outdoor groups, uh, you know, soup to nuts in terms of you know like the Mule Deer Association, the Outbound, I mean, all of those different things. But uh, we tend not to do that because as much anymore just because there's so many you literally can't be effective so we've really tried to be specific in the kinds of things that we do and they tend to lean more toward those national legislative things or whatever but yeah i mean if if truckers have restrictions on them um, that impacts everybody uh if insurance uh is you know a challenge to get that impacts everybody uh, when the banking community has done things to be, I'll call it biased toward certain types of products, uh, that impacts all of us. And so, um, you know, and people in other industries should be just as upset and frustrated by the fact that the banking community is doing that to the gun community, because what's to stop them from doing that to your community next. Uh, so, you know, we're out there trying to make sure that that voice is shared. But in by and large, our job, our mission as an organization is really just focused around trying to uh, build this network from manufacturer all the way to consumer to really have a cohesive uh, unit, if you will, uh, get everybody playing on the same team and in the same sandbox in terms of uh, how these products move, um, the relationships that it takes to get them done, to get it done well, uh, to help our, our distributors to, to know what's moving and why it's moving and where it's moving um, so that they can just make better decisions and be better business people. Because at the end of the day, if, if everybody in the channel is smarter about how they do things, we can insulate ourselves against these wild swings uh, to a great extent. Can we ever sort of buffer ourselves from them completely? Absolutely not, that'd be almost impossible. But, but it, I do believe that uh, we've been able to really set a course as an organization to, to try to help sort of mitigate some of that uh, for, for companies just by having more knowledge, more information. And uh, to, to really know that, hey, if you do have an issue, you can reach out and, and we might have a resource that can help you. I like that rising tide lifts all boats philosophy. Mm -hmm. I, um, I belly ached on another podcast uh, that, that Mike and I did about how my profession tends to have a lot of infighting. Um, we're, we're trained this in school. There's all this deep abiding suspicions like social workers don't like marriage and family therapists. Marriage and family therapists don't like professional counselors and psychologists don't it's like we all just like don't get along and it's very weird and there's this professional turf warring has really i think added to the stigma of of the mental health field and our inability to get compensated adequately by insurance get a network with medicare uh get a network
network with TRICARE, you know, like, like fundamental things that are really critical to our, our client consumers. And it's for lack of a national association that's cohesive and covers all the professional stripes. Cause for some reason we all look at each other askance, like we're, we're somehow different and in competition as though there's not enough hurt to go around. It's very, very bizarre. Um, but I'm wondering if you, if you experience any of that, because you guys are, I mean, you're more or less in direct competition for volume, right? At some, at some level or another. And I don't know how much like, you know, infighting occurs and how much you have to like help assuage that so that you can communicate the message. Hey, we're all, we're all going to benefit if we're all smarter. <laughs> like there's no, we don't want to suppress people. Yeah. You've heard people talk about hurting cats. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say that I was actually about to use that exact line when I was kind of talking about what you do. <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, that's true because there's a lot of competing agendas uh, in, in anything. I mean, but, but at the end of the day, we're family and, and family comes together and this industry has proven time and time again that it can do that. It can overcome those competing personal or, you know, business agendas and, and make that happen. Um, but yeah, it's tough when you look at a company that's uh, doing a billion dollars in revenue and just pumping out product. I mean, they have a whole different take on the world and on business than a company that's, you know, maybe in the $50 million category and just kind of trying to, you know, plug along and they, you know, from whether that's, you know, I've got 150 or 250 employees to I've got 20 employees, um, you know, it's just a whole different mentality of how you approach everything. Everything scaled so differently. So uh, the small guys just really trying to get allocation um, and the big guys trying to make sure the small guy doesn't get bigger. So, you know, that, that, sort of fighting does happen a little bit. I think it's sort of inherent. I don't know that you can completely avoid that, but, um, and that's, I guess, a little bit of the balancing act that we try to dance across as the association that represents all of those different viewpoints is, look, at the end of the day, you're all going to benefit if this channel is utilized by manufacturers. You're all going to benefit if this channel is utilized by the dealer network. Um, we are here to build ourselves up, of course, but we're also here to help build the, the knowledge and the wherewithal of our dealers, because if they understand that the distributors have their back, then they're going to want to use distribution. And, and the distributors, likewise, if they have the backs of the manufacturers and they're out there uh, helping them market and sell those products, uh, manufacturers know that they can count on the distribution community, uh, then they're going to use distribution for getting their product to market. And so we've got a, a really unique role to play. A lot of people think that the whole concept of distribution and a middleman, if you will, has kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. And I would argue that, um, in fact, it's just the opposite. The ability for distributors to be a conduit for information, for sales intelligence and business intelligence has, has never been more uh, sort of prominent. Uh, they have they have at their fingertips information uh, and, and valuable things that they can share in both directions, whether that's to the manufacturers uh, or to the retail community. And um, they are really, truly are some incredibly smart people working in these distributor shops. I mean, they, they know everything about all of these different products and, and why things are selling or why they're not and what kind of consumers are buying and who's not. I mean, because they're on the phone every single day, you know, 
social media and the internet, that's all wonderful. And, and I love it. And it's a great supplement. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to get a hold of me, I tell them, pick up the daggum phone and call me. Because to me, that sort of is a lost art in our world. And I think that's why distribution is successful is because they actually live on the phone to these people. They're talking to people every single day, hundreds of them in some cases, thousands of people. And that personal network, that interactive ability uh, really helps, I think, set us apart from this sort of loose transaction that may or may not happen on a, on, a, on a website. Yeah, you can see all the information, you can see all the details, you can see all that stuff, but it, that's just, sometimes it's just pomp and circumstance. When you, when you actually get to talk to somebody who's had their hands on a piece of equipment or who's actually been able to go to the gun range and, and test that gun out and they know how it works because they, they had a, you know, an actual session with the manufacturer to learn about it, now they, you know, oh, I'm having an issue with it. Oh, well, here's what you do, because I learned that when I did this. So they really become this incredible resource network. And I think that's just undervalued in our world today, because everybody's into these quick transactions. They want to do it all fast. They want to just get it done on the Internet and then just move along. Um, I, I'm, I'm just a firm believer in uh, a little bit of his, historical uh, value in, in this ability to really build these personal networks and personal friendships. And I'll just tell you that um, if that ever goes away, then I'm going to have to find a new career because uh, th that to me is truly the quintessential uh, piece of success for our industry is really the, those personal networks. Yeah. Jay. I, I, this forever. Cause I'm such a geek. <laughs> <laughs> Jake. So, so, as I represented all these different foreign manufacturers, I would go into distributors and I would um, I would run spiffs or I would do promotions and I would it gave me an opportunity to go into each distributor, talk to the sales team, get to introduce them uh, to the product, and also create a personal relationship. You know, as the president of Eagle, I would say, hey, if you have any issue, call me. If you have an issue, if one of your dealers has an issue, call me. But the other reason why I was so supportive of two-step distribution is I needed to move thousands of guns at a time. I couldn't afford to ship onesies and twosies um, to dealers. It, it made no sense, right? So if I could get to a Davidson's or Ellipses or uh, an RSR, these are all examples of big-time di uh, distributors in the industry they could they would purchase the guns by the thousands and then they would be my network to the dealers um and many of times you know they they would i would get a phone call hey mike i got this dealer who has this issue he needs a spring what, what does he do for that like that simple thing goes a, a long way believe it or not <laughs> you know um and i i was always that hands-on type of president of a company where i would take those calls or make those calls because you develop those relationships and then you eventually see that dealer at a show a guarantee and you're like you help me with this da, 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 da. but you know that's the beauty of nasgw is is really uh the connectiveness in the community um you know for me going to those shows being able to sit with some of the presidents of these big time distributors and and not not have chaos like we do at shot show like you you, you know uh kenyon he got to he got to go to shot show so he knows yeah yeah yeah, I mean, so it just was one of those things where it's just, it's too much stimulus. You know, you don't get to really sit down and have these conversations. You have to try to pencil them in, so. Yeah, 
Well, from a very practical perspective, and you hit on this, Mike, just there and what you were talking about, this this notion of you would move thousands of guns. Well, if you're if you're um, Mike Sedini or you're uh, an Eagle Imports or you're a Ruger or you're a Glock or a Smith or whomever, um, and you have to have a network of salespeople and marketing people and a mail uh, system where you have to then track every single firearm uh, to every single location, um, that is an incredible logistics nightmare. And so um, they rely on the distribution community to do it because they can do it better, faster. They're good at it. I mean, they've been doing it for years. So they just, they understand it. Plus, if you're a manufacturer and you're, let's say you're, you're, you're sending your guns out, you're sending to thousands and thousands of stores. But instead, you have your distributors doing it. Um, and, and as a manufacturer, you might send two units to a store or five or 10 or whatever, you know, some small number, as Mike was pointing out. Um, but if you're a distributor, you're carrying 20 product lines or 100 product lines, or you're carrying not just guns, but you're carrying all the accessories and all the other stuff too. So when the dealer calls you and they need two of this gun, they probably need two of that gun, five of this one, six of that, 10 of that, eight boxes of that ammo, uh, you know, 100 boxes of that, and you can bundle it all up and put it in one box and send it out. So there's an incredible efficiency in using a distributor to make that happen versus, you know, you're getting shipments from all of these different manufacturers uh and and again it's onesies and twosies and everybody's spending you know a fortune on trying to get their product shipped where the distributor can consolidate all that bundle it all up get a box out and with the shipping times and with the way that the shipping companies have really changed you know their operational base uh, you can get stuff next day anymore it's just literally uh, you know not an issue and many times just have it sent right to your house I totally needed, we need this for our profession. And I mean, speaking of our profession, we should probably pivot because you are a board member of Walk the Talk. And I'm curious to know uh, what got you involved, like other than, you know, just being friends with Mike and it's a cool thing to do. Um, you know, is there, is there a personal investment and backstory, something like that? Um, you know, what, what's your passion about guns and mental health? Like why, why do this? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer Firstly, that if you're going to do something uh, that involves, uh, you know, I'll, I don't want to call it risky, but I can't think of a better word. Uh, if you're going to do things that have a risk to them, you should take the responsibility to, to um, you know, to mitigate or take care of that. Uh, and that's true with anything, like whether you're riding a four-wheeler, whether you're flying an airplane, driving a car, whatever. Um, you should be smart. You should be trained. You should understand um, all of the aspects of it. Um, and so, I, I'm just a I'm just a person who really kind of want to put their, you know, uh, I I don't want to leave things to chance. You know, I, I'm I'm just really kind of the guy that that says if I'm going to be involved in this, then there needs to be. A collective responsibility for all of us. Um, unfortunately, and so this is where it goes, I guess, a little deeper than just sort of that overarching philosophy of, you know, taking responsibility. Um, unfortunately, in my world, um, in my family, and in my history, there, there have been uh, issues and, and instances of mental health uh, challenges. Um, I've known people who've um, who've used firearms to end their life. Um, and, you know, I, 
it's never easy to watch anybody um, commit suicide or, or anything like that. But with a firearm, it seems like it's obviously going to be considerably more effective than, than some types of things that people would try to do to, to take their own life. Um, and so I just think there's a, there's a responsibility of, of anyone in this industry. If you're going to, if you're going to advocate for something that has that potential power, I really think that you need to also be mindful of the fact that some people will try to misuse that. And so, um, you know, I guess I just feel a fundamental sense of responsibility to myself, to my family, to my community, to, you know, our, our global firearms community um, to at least be, and I'm not a huge voice in this, right? I'm just a board member, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to help. Um, but I really just feel like it, I should do something. And when Mike called and said, you know, I'm putting this together, um, I mean, I, I literally, I, I just cried on the phone because I, my wife and I had, we were in the car, we were driving um, to see some friends and we were literally just talking about, you know, this, the, the consequences of, of, um, you know, mental health and, uh, and, and kind of, it's all around us. And, uh, and I think, you know, 2020, if, if you haven't learned anything from 2020, it's that, you know, mental health challenges and issues are just way more common, way, way, way more common than anybody even would dare to, to guess at. And so, um, it's just, it's just our job as human beings, as people who care about other people, as Americans, as citizens, or whatever you want to say, as gun owners. I mean, I just think it's our job to do something, to, to have some voice in this. And so in whatever small way I'm helping, um, you know, I, I, hope it's, I hope it works. I hope it's effective. I, th I think that you already have just by saying yes to the invitation. You know, uh, I don't know how many people Mike asked, and I don't know that he wants to share if anybody said no, but um, I think it seems like a minor thing. But when you're dealing with something of such significant separation, it's like we've had this chasm between the the firearms community and really healthcare broadly, but specifically mental health treatment. Um, to step into the chasm and say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a part of this," I think is very bold. I mean, I, I, it doesn't it maybe doesn't seem like it, but when you got so many people out there, and we've been doing this for you know, I've been around for 18 months or so, 20 months, something like that, since Mike and I met a year and a half ago. And the frustration that I'm seeing with a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great idea. I'll be over here. You guys go take tackle that. <laughs> it's like, it could have, you could have said no, like, you know, there could, there could be reputations on the line and, you know, I don't want to fall into the stigma and all that stuff. So um, I'm not worried about any of that. Honestly, if somebody wanted to pick on me about all that, then more power to them. Good luck. I, Cause I could care less. Look, I I've seen it. I know what mental health issues and challenges can do to people. I've seen it, unfortunately, too many times. And um, I've witnessed the incredible struggles that people have overcoming mental health challenges. Um, and not all of those have been, you know, suicide related or gun related, obviously, but I mean, just in general. Um, you know, I'm a former television reporter and I've seen, you know, you know, murder situations where people were obviously not 
mentally there. Um, and, and, you know, so I've, I've covered it from a lot of different angles and seen it from a lot of different perspectives, but just the ones that mattered the most were those ones that were really personal to me. And I'm not going to get into all the stories about that necessarily, or who was impacted, but I'll just tell you straight up, you know, it's been in my world very, very close to me. And, um, you know, I, I guess it's just, again, that just sense of responsibility as a human being. It doesn't really need to be any more uh, sugar-coated than that. I mean, it's just really that matter of fact. Um, we have a responsibility as a gun community to speak up and talk about the fact that there will be people who will try to use our products in a way in which they are not intended. And um We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to talk about it, um, hiding it and pretending it doesn't exist. And, you know, acting like, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not engaged in this doesn't do anybody any favors. Uh, we all have to be engaged. And if we're really going to make a difference, then, then we all have to come together. Yeah. One of the things I want to, uh, touch on before I forget, because that's what happens these days with me. Um, <laughs> since we're kind of talking about the, the industry, Jake, and, and the system between um, manufacturers, distribution, and, and dealers. Um, what, one of the things that we do that's so unique, Jake, is we're, we're creating this affiliate network of mental health clinicians that speak our language that are making connections with firearm shops, right? Um, when Kenyon was talking about just kind of uh, the connectiveness between all the different organizations and levels, um, you know, I think for the firearms industry has, has attempted, uh, I know NSSF has done some great work by creating packets, but there always seems to be this focus about, Hey, let's, let's get the gun shop employees, the guys behind the counter. We need to get them prepped. Right. And the, I just want to say that the guys behind the counter deal with so much stuff that it's going to be impossible. And that's why I love what we're doing, right? Because we're taking a different approach. The guy behind the counter works behind the counter. A, there's a lot of turnover um, between employees at gun shops because a lot of these guys get poached and picked up by manufacturing reps or people that go into these stores or they, you know, they're always trying to go somewhere else. So the turnover rate's hard. So it's hard to, to have any stability there. Second thing is they have to worry about straw purchases. Um, they have to worry, they have to be mindful of that. I mean, we're, we're so heavily regulated and it's just one mistake can end your whole career or get you shut down. Um, we have to sell the guy behind the counter has to make sales and he has to upsell, right? Cause he has a responsibility to the gun shop. <laughs> he has to get the right gun in the customer's hand, what they're looking for. You know, he has that obligation. Um, we also, I, I joke around, I call it the, uh, you know, the barber, the, the alternative barbershop. Everybody goes to the barbershop, not only get their haircut, but to bullshit and talk, right? <laughs> Gun people go in there and they will take time from the guy behind the counter. Some guys will go in there and sit there for two hours, right? Um, and then they have to take calls from distributors who are selling the, the spiffs and running the promotions. So I, when I would walk into a gun shop, when I was a sales rep, and I would be talking to the guy behind the counter trying to show him my products. Um, I would, he would get a call from Davidson's. He would get a call from Lipsy's. Hey, I got this, 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 this hot new scope and we're running a special on it. Do you want it? So these guys behind the counter have a lot to deal with. And then you try to tell them, okay, we need you to spot people that are in crisis 
that may be suicidal. That's a, that's a tough one. So like Jake, just this, this conversation alone helps you understand like the way we're approaching it and the, the difference between, Hey, here's a packet or, Hey, we want to just train your guys behind the counter to spot this. Um, I, I, I think it'll be more effective in the long run. Not to say that the other way doesn't work as well. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I think we need to do as much as we can. And I love that I got organizations on the left and right of me that are doing, you know, other approaches. Um, but I just kind of wanted to point that out for the listener, uh, just because we are kind of talking behind the scenes. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about the industry behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, maybe, maybe Kenyon can help with this, but we, um, what we, uh, what we're doing for people who don't know is we have these flyers that, that go in gun boxes and it would be nice to get them in all manufacturers. That would be pretty sweet. Um, but on the flyer says mental health, it's okay to talk about it. And then on the flip side, it's got like the, 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 the national crisis line and a blank space for clinicians in certain communities to put their own sticker, or their stamp or staple their business card to it or whatever. And uh, so imagine if you will, in Reno, we have Reno guns and range, which is one of our partner facilities and that's where we do our trainings and they're, they're very, very, they're large. And what they've done is they've agreed to take these flyers with a Zephyr wellness stamp on it and just leave them on the counter so that if somebody's sitting there just kind of, you know, waiting for the purchase to be rung up or they're waiting for the next salesperson to come over and talk to them about something that they had their eyeball on, they're flipping through, through literature and there's not much there. There's like the Reno guns flyer. There's like some business cards for the owners or whatever. And then there's, there's our stuff. It's WTTA. And we, I, I happen to know the owners, and so they have the Zephyr Wellness rack cards as well. But, but imagine a WTTA flyer. It says mental health. It's okay to talk about it with the silhouette of a of a head. And then on the flip side, you know, somebody's picking this up. They flip it over and says, for for help near you, go to these people. And these people ostensibly would be the the clinicians who have taken our class and been trained in cultural competence of firearms ownership and firearms culture and what that's what that's about, so that they can reasonably assume that going to this facility or this individual. Um, you know, who's a marriage family therapist or psychologist or clinical social worker, they know that they're going to be welcomed. They're not going to be judged, uh, that, they, that they can have a reasonable understanding that if the stamp is on the card, that person is, you know, green lighted to, to be welcoming of a firearms owner if they're struggling with something. That's not just personal struggles and crisis. That could be your, your marriage that has nothing to do with guns, but you, maybe you never thought about mental health before because you think you're going to get stigmatized, um, all those things, right? Or maybe it's your, your child who's struggling after a breakup in middle school, you know, and it's like, oh, all right, all right, here, I see this here. It's just another avenue for, for people to get access to help that maybe they wouldn't have thought about before. And at maximum, it's like, oh man, I'm, I am, I am struggling right now, and maybe I need do need to go get assistance. So imagine that across the country, every yeah. retail store, every range uh, that you have, you know, just a stack of, of fires, uh, uniquely de- um, customized to the the clinicians in that community. I mean, wouldn't that be super cool? And hopefully, we get there. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I absolutely agree with you. I hope you do too, and I hope um, that anybody who listens to this or, you know, the connections that I have, Mike has, you have Jake, whoever, uh, we can continue to, to spread the word and, and get this out there as much as possible. Unfortunately in our world today, and you know this better than anybody, Jake, because of the work that you do. Um, you know, when you start talking about mental health, people just shut down. Uh, they will run away. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's just not an honest, they're not being honest with themselves and they're not being honest with the reality of the world. Um, and then you've got people that use those things against you. Um, so for example, you tell somebody, Hey, I'm not doing well. Uh, 
I, I need some help. I, I need to see somebody. I need to talk to somebody. I have, somebody's got to help me work through some of the stuff I'm going through. Uh, you know, uh, we are not set up as a society to allow that conversation to be honest, to, to fulfill itself, to let that person get the help they need so they can get back on the right track. Uh, and in the meantime, Hey, I got a stack of guns at home. Uh, you know, uh, what do I do with all those? Um, you know, there, there'd be some who'd say, well, you should never have them again. There'd be some who'd say, uh, they need to be sold or scrap metaled or whatever. Um, you know, we just have to, we have to break through this whole notion that we can't be human anymore. Um, and, and, and so, you know, until we're at that place, um, and until we as a society start to figure out how to actually communicate with each other again, without yelling and screaming and shouting and, and, uh, calling each other all kinds of crazy names. Um, I think it's just going to continue to be a challenge, but I think that's why, you know, so, you know, to kind of go back to the question of why WTTA for me, why be involved? Um, because I think it starts the conversation and nothing else. It, it at least is, has taken a step toward making that happen. And uh, if, if not me, who? Yeah, more podcasts. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah, it's, more, it's a lot a, of stuff. What, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm particularly proud of is being able to offer solutions that don't involve legislation to people that were looking for solutions from us for a long time. Right. I've had a lot of people say, well, this is all I wanted to hear really, you know, because I think what that happens is we tend to say, well, it's a mental health thing. And then we just want to pass the ball to the mental health people and say, fix it. Um, the interesting reach that we have Kenyon is that we, 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 we've been able to get, firearms manufacturers to put the card in the box, right? Um, no outside source has been able to really can do that um, unless the government wanted to come in and mandate it, right? But that's that's really what we're trying to do is get ahead of that. So it's like, you now we already do enough. Like we do our thing. Here's what we're doing. Do you want to help us? Um, or, you know, you're not going to make us do anything. But that's that's been the whole point is to get people to change their perspective to where they look at the firearm and say, okay, uh, before I used to either love it or hate it, but now I see it as a conduit for people to get the help they need without fear of consequence. And that's really what we're putting together. Um, it's changing the way people are looking at it because let's face it, we can do packets. Um, we can have mental health professionals talk to us about being safe or responsible. We could talk to ourselves about being safe and responsible None of that has worked. It's going the wrong direction. <laughs> so let's try some new things. Let's come and offer some stuff up at the table and say, look, we're not going to get involved with anything that's going to restrict rights, but we can do these things. As long as we know, you know, like I said, for us, it's, it's the affiliates, the ones that have taken our courses that have come through that, you know, there are a lot of mental health clinicians and people would be shocked by this that are pro to a, or at least neutral. Mm -hmm. And, and we've, we've, you know, we had a class uh, December 1st where we had 238 mental health professionals take the course. A lot of these mental health professionals didn't, they don't even realize that there is this giant fear on our side. You know, some of them are like, this is kind of news to me. <laughs> like, I, I don't have a problem with firearms. I didn't realize <laughs> that, you know, me asking that question would cause somebody to lie or not even show up 
right? Not even come in. So we have to we have to look at these these different ways, and and I feel like we need it because um, who knows where this goes? Uh, you know, things new, new the new regime that comes in that doesn't understand the firearms culture. Um, you know, we need to we need to keep breaking down these barriers, and we need to go in there and defend our Second Amendment right, but at the same time offer solutions. And and that's what I I love about what we're doing and the way we're doing it. I love you. I love your passion. I love what you've done. I, I, I love everything about it. And I just hope and pray um, that, you know, people will come to a better understanding about, um, about how to talk about things, about, about how to, you know, that there's help available, um, that there are people who do care, um, that there are people who uh, want to make sure that you're safe and, you know, but yet you still get to have uh, your rights. And uh, I just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm really grateful for, for you and for, for your uh, energy and spirit behind the creation of this. I, I just can't thank you enough for what you've done. And I hope that you've seen the rewards. I'm sure you have. In fact, I've seen some of the stories and some of the texts and tweets and things that you get uh, from people who've been impacted by your message. And I uh, just, I'm just proud to be a part of it. I'm, I'm proud to be your friend. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Yeah. I think just to put a little bow on it for the listening audience, in case you're wondering what we're talking about with these, these flyers, like envision the, uh, like the, the alcohol industry, they, the, you know, back, back in the day, they, there was no such thing as anti-drunk driving. And and what they did is they started a campaign of, you know, uh, drink responsibly, hand the keys. Uh, you know, they, they took it under themselves. There was some pressure, obviously, yeah. to prevent DUI deaths, right? And, you know, nobody said, we're, we're taking away your right to drive a car uh, or we're going to strip you of your, oh, it's a privilege, I suppose. Uh, we're going to strip you of your privilege to, you know, drink alcohol. We're not going to try prohibition again. That didn't work. Um, what they did is they said, it's on us to, to change the narrative. We're not just out here selling products. And, and I think we can analogize that to firearms or firearms industry goes, yeah, this might be compelled upon us if we don't move. <laughs> so, yeah. I uh, love so- that analogy, Jake. That's absolutely, absolutely true. You know, nobody's, nobody's going to say, Hey, you can't ever drive a car again per se. I mean, let's get you some help. Let's get you back on the right track. And that's, I think, you know, uh, a message that more in the firearm community need to really understand. Uh, and then, uh, and then too, you know, that the, that the mental health community understands that fear exists uh, among us. It's just such a hotly political issue that it's just almost impossible to sit down and have conversations like these um, with certain people. And that's just really unfortunate. One at a time, man. One at yep. a time. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 not two. <laughs> I, I actually, it, it's kind of weird. I enjoy walking into those hostile situations because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> once again, it, it, you got like Teflon skin, though, man. <laughs> not everybody's like that. Well, you know, here's the thing it's like they expect me to just go, well, it's a mental health problem. You know what I mean? Like the expectation is I throw my hands up. And when you, provide once again solutions even though they still may hate guns i understand that but if they're truly about saving lives then then you you kind of box them into a corner to admit that's a really good idea because whatever they're they're hawking right restriction law um packets you know uh slogans phrases (laughs) that's not working 
right? And and once again, we got to find another way because restrictions never going to work. We already have enough laws and restrictions on us, and it and it has it's going the wrong direction. Um, now let's let's frame it up differently. We're no longer the bad guys. Uh, we're no longer the ones that they say they don't care. They're just turning their backs, and they think it's somebody else's problem. And I, I truly still believe in humanity, even though social media would, would show us that it's, it's going the wrong direction. But I think most people want to find solutions. And I, I was just before I, you know, the reason why I had to reschedule this is because I was on a call. Um, I was on a, a, a Zoom meeting with 20 different people from 20 different walks of life. And one of the things that we talked about at the end of the meeting was how f- fun it's been for, you know, one of the ladies on there was clearly comes from more of an anti-gun stance. She's like, I get to talk to people that I never would have even associated with. And, um, yeah, it's been an eye opener, you know? Um, and Pincus was on there. Right. And Pincus was like, I'm one of those people you would have never associated with, but I, I want, (laughs) I want to have the dialogue. I want to show you what we do, you know? Um, yeah. A message that transcends all different walks of life. It's okay to hate guns. It is okay to hate guns, right? But you got to understand, generalizing a group of people that made their living off this, um, have have protected their families, um, our first responders, our vets, you know, uh, you you can't... People just enjoying it for sport. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons why and just maybe understanding the why, um, and, and, you know, Pingus always uses the car analogy of why different people have automobiles, right? And that's mm-hmm. just it. But I enjoy going into those situations because I'm excited because I'm like, this is going to blow them away that gun manufacturers, all you had to do is walk up and ask for them to put a free and uh, an anonymous mental health screening flyer in the box. I mean, Arms Corps, one of our biggest sponsors uh, financially and and just in support general, um, they're going to do over 200,000 firearms this year just because of this boom. And that flyer is going to be in in that many boxes. That's, That's just awesome. one, one manufacturer that supports us. So if we can get the Rugers and the Smith & Wessons to jump on this, and if I'm from Ruger and Smith and & Wesson and nudge, Kenyon, I'm trying to nudge you because you have better relationships with these people than I do. Uh, at least get them to listen to me, to pitch it. Um, imagine when they are in their shareholders meeting um, and they have the people, believe it or not, they have people that are anti-gun that bought stock in their company <laughs> just so they can rib them at meetings. Nope. Yeah. You know, imagine now you go into that meeting and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Here's what we're doing. You know what I mean? What we are being socially responsible? Yeah, yeah. Socially, I call it this uh, hashtag socially conscious two A. Um, that's the one yep. thing I, you know because hey, we can be socially conscious. You know, I I know sometimes we forget that because we're too busy reeling from all the shitty things people say about us. Um, and I know it's hard to communicate sometimes when people are calling you baby killer or you stand on graves. And and keep in mind, I grew up in super liberal places and have a lot of liberal views um and when i walked into the industry and i was just meeting people at bars and i told them that i was in the firearms industry and then i would get this weird reaction like i was some angel of death that was a shock to me 
Because I'm like, what are you talking about? We, we're not handing out firearms. We're the most regulated industry in in, in the world. You know, <laughs> I you know it, it just was something that nobody in the firearms industry prepped me for. Like, hey man, people will hate you just because you're in the firearms industry. I wasn't ready. Yeah, I don't even I don't even bring up the topic in certain situations. I just I just like okay, we're not going to talk about what Kenyon does. It's just. <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. I so. mean, I, I don't know how many times I have said that I work in sporting goods. And when people try to fish, right. I'm like, bikes. <laughs> I work in bikes. Yeah. 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 I, get some, I get some weird looks when I get asked that, you know, and again, it's just random. Usually most people who are close to me know what I do and have no problem with it. But um, yeah, you're out at different events or you're at a social event for some other different group and you get asked that question. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm in, it's not like I'm ashamed of it. I just don't want to fight. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to, I don't want to push my thing enough. I could sit down in a neutral setting and we could have a, just a, an honest conversation, me, you, and whoever, that's fine, but I'm not going to do it in some kind of a social public setting. And now all of a sudden you get upset because you know, I, I happen to be in the firearms industry and, and, uh, you don't, you know, you don't like that. Well, that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to say you have to like it, but I'm also not going to like provoke anybody needlessly either. So. Well, you got covered now. You can just say, I sit on a board of a nonprofit that works to uh, bridge the gap between firearms and mental illness. And they'll be yeah. like, really? Yeah. Here, check out the website. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you saw the, the screening, the Coley Noir on Joe Rogan. <laughs> he got, he was able to crowbar the, the uh, walk to talk America. <laughs> yeah. Your philosophy in there. Um, yeah. He's a great dude. Yeah, he really is. Well, both those guys are good. Dudes. Yeah. We're uh, we're kind of running up against. I want to respect Kenyon's time because he's got to get out. Probably shove some food down his throat before his next meeting. But um, I do like, have another call here, so unfortunately, I, those have not ended. Mike always uh, likes to end with his uh, his his favorite question to every guest. So you probably should should ask that. Yeah, Kenyon, my friend, how do you tend to your mental health? I've got a great support network in my family. My wife is an incredible partner. We've been married for 27 years, just a couple of days ago. Um, I spend time outside. I pray. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, if you're listening audience or God fearing people or not, I don't, I'm not going to push my religion on them, but for me, um, that's what I do. I'm i I'm a person of faith and I, and I pray a lot. Um, but I just have a lot of good close family and friends and, um, you know, I, I try to stay healthy and, and, uh, in that way, I try to make sure that I fill my mind with uh, positive things and, and, uh, and do, uh, do positive things with my family, friends and, and, uh, get out and enjoy the world. Very succinct. That might be the most succinct one we've had yet. It was good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks, Kenyon. We appreciate your time. Thanks for your um, your service to the to the organization and for you know being one of the people who's blazing the trail. You know, it's it's important, and we're, I think I truly believe you know coming from my side of things, um, having knocked down a couple of walls myself uh, in the last few years, I think we're going to look back on this and be very very proud of what we started and uh, how it continues to grow. So, yeah. thank you for your time. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you guys for what you do. I wish I could do more, but 
life is a blur seems like uh you know and i'm sure it is for everybody but uh in my world right now i'm i'm uh i'm just about done with my last kid in in high school and so we're we're getting close to empty nesting so i might have a little more time for a few <laughs> for a few more things here moving forward so we'll see you you look you look younger than i i am so i don't know how you have i turned 50 i turned 50 in november Wow, congratulations. Wow. 50, yeah. 50 years, 20, 20, how many years married? 27. 27. Congratulations. That's super cool. Thank you. Um, well, you uh, keep knocking down the pheasants in South Dakota, and uh, I will be continuing to be jealous here in uh, North Dakota. <laughs> but on behalf of uh, our whole family and team here, on behalf of Arms Corps, our sponsor for the podcast, uh, on behalf of the, the Zephyr Wellness family, uh, thank you for listening. Chloe and Martin, everybody high at Arms Corps, by the way. Absolutely. I, yeah, you know, we all live here, so I see them all the time. But I, can't, I can't thank them enough for their support. I need other people in the industry to get behind this. Right. They can't yeah, be the only ones. And on that note, we will say goodbye. Please share the podcast. Uh, we love you all. Uh, continue being safe and responsible. Take care.